Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast and to our theology segment. On today's episode, a listener writes in and they have a great question. How did the Enlightenment impact and change the church? Well, the 20th century was a time of great flux. It was a time of anxiety in Europe as the supremacy of Christianity in Europe was it was being challenged on the fronts of biblical criticism and evolution. When people raised the question about the decline of Christianity among the, the nations of a people group, one question that typically arises is, how is this even happening? Well, the number one reason this occurs is, is because local churches devalue the role of Scripture, which leads to an unhealthy church that doesn't reach its surrounding area with the gospel. So we need to understand what is truth and why it's of great importance for understanding truth as coming from the Word of God, which lays the understanding for us to understand justice, morality, ethics, and religion itself. Well, Harold J. Berman was, is the professor of law at Harvard University. In fact, he wrote a great book called The Interaction of Law and Religion, in which he discusses how Western culture has had a massive loss of confidence in law and religion. Such a loss of confidence in religion and law has caused a double confidence and a ra- radical separation between the two. And, and Berman concludes that, that you cannot have workable rules for religion or excuse me, workable rules for behavior without religion, because only religion provides an absolute basis, a foundation upon which morality and law can be based. He fears, Berman does, that the Western society is doomed to relativism in law because of the loss of an absolute. So we need to ask the question, how can moral principles be grounded and social organizations legitimized in the absence of a religiously based culture? Well, cultures that break, break away from an authoritative religion and even from the concept of God break away from the possibility of absolute truth. Let's be clear. That's what we believe as Christians. All that remains when this happens is existential relativism, a slippery and ever-changing base upon which no authoritative system of law or morals can be built. You see, a religionless law can never command real and genuine authority. The rationalism of the Enlightenment and idealistic philosophy of the Romantic era were the parents of a criticism that destroyed the supernatural nature of the Bible. Such a view sought to make the Bible a revelation that makes the word a subjective evolution of religion in human ideas in the history of philosophy. But higher or historical and literary criticism has come to be associated with the destructive views of liberalism and is the careful study of the historical background of each book of the Bible. Now, now lower or textual criticism is the study of the text of the Bible in an attempt to understand whether that text that we have is one that came from the hands of the writers. Now, now lower criticism has resulted in the granting to the text of the Bible a high degree of accuracy, and such a result has led Christians to be sure that, that we have the writings of the original authors of Scripture. 
and thus no doctrine or no ethical teaching of Scripture can be called into question by the most radical criticism. And, and let's be clear here, it's been radical higher criticism rather than lower criticism that has destroyed the faith of many persons in the divine revelation of the Word of God. In fact, higher criticism was popularized by Gene Astrucht. He divided the book of Genesis into two parts. Johann G. Eckhorn laid down the dictum that the Bible was only to be read as a human book tested and tested by human means. Carl Graf and Ulysses Wellenhausen, they developed an elaborate system known as the Graf-Wellenhausen theory, also known as the JEDP theory. The, the Graf-Wellenhausen theory states that sections in which the name Jehovah is used constitute the early document. Another part by another author is known as E, still another Deuteronomy as D and P. And in this fashion, the unity of the Pentateuch, that is, you know, the first five books of the law, and its Mosaic authorship are denied. Herman S. Rismas denied the possibility of biblical miracles. He advanced the idea that the New Testament writers were frauds. Gotthold Lessing argues that the, the scriptures served man as a guide during the primitive phase of his religious development. And now he claims that, that reason and duty are sufficient guides in more advanced states of religion. Fernand Bauer argued that, that the early church had emphasized the law and the Messiah. And in the 20th century, men like David Strauss denied both the miracles and the integrity of the New Testament as well, as well as the deity of Christ whom he saw as a man who only thought he was the Messiah. Well, Charles Darwin wrote in The Origin of Species in 1859, what was new about his quote-unquote theory was that the, the most powerful and the persuasive explanation of how the process of evolution works with the theory of natural selection. He points out that, that creatures are similar to their parents, but they're not identical. They are apparently random minor variations in each generation. And he argues that those individuals that happen to be well-suited to their environment, they're going to survive, they're going to prosper, they're going to give birth to new individuals sharing their characteristics. Those less suited will, will die out. And so any new characteristic with which an individual is born is likely to be passed on if it's useful. And in this way, species evolve and they develop in a process that's not random or determined by God. But it follows natural laws. And at another level, the theory of evolution contradicted fundamental Christian notions about humanity and sin, in a biblical worldview, that is. In 1871, Charles Darwin expanded on his ideas in The Descent of Man, in which he argues that human beings evolved naturally from lower creatures. So, so then not only does life itself follow natural laws, but the human mind and the human soul are not some supernatural element breathed into the body by God because they then evolved from nothing, right? Well, Charles Darwin's theory left a shrinking place for God. In fact, no place for God. Let's be clear. In fact, in the Enlightenment, scientists had described a world that, that functioned according to laws laid down by God himself, who set everything up and then left it to its own devices. This is deism, though. And now it seemed that the world in its present state was not directed by God. The theory of evolution denied the direct creation of man by God. And the greatest damage came from the application of that theory to the development of religion itself. God and the Bible were looked upon as the evolutionary products of man's religious consciousness. And the, and the books of the Bible were dated accordingly. Biblical eschatology, in which perfection would come into this world, 
only by the direct intervention of God and the return of Christ? Instead, biblical eschatology was replaced by the evolutionary view of a world that was being increasingly improved on by human effort. Well, you see, because man was not guilty through original sin, there was no need for Christ as Savior. Authentic Christian preaching both declares and defends the whole gospel. And, and we must be clear here, we must defend these following truths. The deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the miracles in the Bible, the incarnation of Christ, Christ's substitutionary death, the, the resurrection of Jesus. But we don't dare stop at these af affirmations, but we must place the person and work of Christ within the context of God's eternal purpose to save a people for his own glory. The task of, of preaching our, in our postmodern context, it's comprehensive, even as it's driven by a desire to see sinners turn to Christ in faith. What we need today is a generation of bold and courageous Christians who will be witnesses of the gospel and proclaim the whole counsel of God. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.